Amen. What a blessing it is to be able to speak this morning. Um, I told the first service that, uh, you know, I, I heard Pastor Carl preach over the years and heard uh, Pastor Adam preach. And uh, But when you come to the church and you hear them preach every week, then you're like, man, they, they preach really good. So when Pastor Adam asked me to preach, I was like, okay, you know, so he gave me the date. And now I'm thinking, and so I, I go on my calendar, I look, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's on a Sunday. Uh-oh. And then I go, wait a minute, that's on Super Bowl Sunday. So I was like, I'm in trouble. So I got a little nervous, but uh, I, I believe God gave me a word today. Um, and uh, I, I was going to preach in my Raider jersey, but I don't want to hinder a lot of you people out there. So I decided not to preach in my Raider jersey, okay? I'll save that for another church. <laughs> But uh, I, I just wanted to thank you guys, uh, the church, for me and my wife, uh, just for welcoming us. Uh, this is a really great church, and, and I know everybody does the hashtag, I love my church, uh, and I'm not going to do that because I'm not that guy, but I really love this church, and, and I really love the spirit that's here, and everybody that's really welcomed us has been a blessing, amen? Uh, Luis and April, that was right on point with what I uh, have for today. Uh, I love their story. Uh, I've gotten to know them since we've, we've came to this church, uh, a really great couple, and th their story is, is so good. I love what they said about team, and it kind of, and unity, and working together. It kind of goes along with, with today, right, Super Bowl Sunday, with it being, uh, there's, there's some teams that are playing today. And I thought about that today, and, and the title of my sermon is The Team. And I thought of a few things that teams do. And one thing I wasn't good at, you know, the old saying is there's no I in team, right? There's no I in team. But for a long time, there was an M-E. <laughs> there was a me in team. When I first got married with Melissa, we were talking about this the other day. She was telling me that she was only concerned about her feelings and how she was feeling. And, you know, guys, we don't really know what the heck's going on. We're aloof to everything, Right? <laughs> And I was just worried about my feelings and what, how I was feeling. And we worked separate. And how many of you know you can't work as individuals within a team? you got to work together. And a lot of times what happens is people get married and they don't know God's game plan for marriage. They don't know. They, they, they get married and they're like, yeah, they told us to get married. You know, we, we got married. You know, we don't want to fall into sin. We've been dating for three years. We're just... We, we, we decided to get married. Well, well, what's God's game plan for marriage? Right? Have you studied the playbook for marriage? Do you know what, he's, what he says? And so I begin to look, and I thought, this is, this is great, because many couples don't know God's intention for marriage. But let's open our Bibles to Ephesians 5.31. And it's a scripture we've, we've read, and it says... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Okay, that's all the way in Ephesians. But if you go back, this is, Paul's just reiterating what is said in Genesis 21, I mean 2, 21 through 24. And it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which of the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her into the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman. 
because she was taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave into his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They become one. Not two individuals, but one. And I begin to think about that. Pastor Adam talked about this last week. When we think about marriage, we think contract, right? Oh, contract. Man, if it doesn't work out, we're going to get, I'm going to get taken because this is a, a legal contract. And Pastor Adam mentioned it last week what was covenant, right? A covenant. And a lot of times we don't know the difference between a contract and a covenant, right? Covenant's a little more distinguished. It's a little bit more spiritual. It's a little bit more serious, right? Let me give you a few examples. Unlike a contract that is based on untrust, a marriage covenant is based on trust, right? Contracts are legal binding, but a covenant has a spiritual binding. We're going a little bit deeper now, right? Some of you are saying, I don't know if I want to get married. A contract exchanges one good for another. Why covenant is giving oneself to the other. Man. You sign a contract, but you seal a covenant. That's huge if you think about that. I'm not just signing it. We're going to sign it and we're going to seal it. Some of you criminals out here know that when they seal your file, you're like, okay, great. Nobody else can see it. Right? Okay, maybe not that many criminals out there. One can stop pain in a contract when one party is not fulfilling their part in a deal. However, in a covenant, the party not getting their needs met supports the failing party so that they can meet their obligations. In other words, if, if you're not meeting your side of the deal, I'm going to help you meet your side of the deal. That's usually not how contracts work, right? But we're not talking about a contract. We're talking about a marriage covenant, a union. You see, because marriage, it's a perfect metaphor, right, of God and his love for the church. Throughout the Bible, that's what God uses, right? From the beginning to the end, that's what he uses. If you think about it, the Bible starts off in Genesis with the marriage. Adam and Eve. It's a covenant. It's a union. And then it ends in a marriage in Revelation between God and the church. And all in between... God compares his love for the church, that bond, that bond, as a marriage bond. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. And if you think about that, that's, that's pretty significant. If God is taking it to that level and he's explaining his love for the church, how much do you think marriage is important to him? It's important. But a lot of times we don't take it like that. We take it, uh, it's no big deal. I don't have to know the game plan. I don't have to know God's game plan. I'll figure it out as I go. See, today the teams are not figuring it out as they go. They're ready. They're ready. I guarantee you. That's why they give two weeks for the teams to get ready. Right? They study the playbook. Everybody's ready to go. They're healthy. You're going to get the best of both teams on the field today. It's God's game plan for marriage. Why else is this important? Why else is marriage important to God? Marriage is important to God because a good marriage does what? It glorifies God. Right? You see a good marriage you, you, and you're having some struggles, what do you do? I'm like, man, what do they got? What do they got that I need? Right? Their foundation is built on Jesus. It's built on God. 
It's built on the game plan. It's built on the playbook. That's what it's built on. It speaks a lot. Good marriage and societies speak a lot. If we think about all society's problems, right, where do they stem from? A broken home, no father, no example, constantly fighting, right? You ask some criminal in jail or you ask somebody that's, that's not doing well in life, and a lot of times they're going to tell you, well, it started in my home. But a good foundation is started within a marriage. It's a huge impact on society. You want to know why marriages are so much attacked and everything? Because marriages, good marriages, make good churches. They do. In this church, we have great marriages. They make strong churches. You know, maybe you're out there and you're saying, well... I don't need to know God's plan. I don't need to know God's playbook. You know, I'm pretty savvy with my words. I know how to take care of my wife, bro. Got it. I'm good. Or maybe you're like, yeah, I'm going to rely on my own athleticism, my own talent. Have you seen those type of players? Right? I'm going to rely on my own talent. I got this. Eventually, though, you're going to have to learn the playbook. No matter how good you are or how good you think you are, there's going to come up a point in time where the coach is going to have to call upon you and you're going to have to know his plan. You're going to have to know what's in the playbook. You're not going to be able to rely on your own talents and ability anymore. And you're going to have to ride the pine for a little bit, the bench, until you learn the playbook. I say that because there's a lot of young couples, hey, do it before. You're getting married. You're engaged, you're looking to get married, you want to get married, study the game plan. Know the playbook. Amen? Second point I wanted to make this morning, it's called practice. And I say it that way, practice. There's a, there, there, there was a, there's a famous uh, uh, NBA player named Allen Iverson. Anybody know Allen Iverson? Okay, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, uh, knucklehead, good player, just it was the epitome of like 90s, early 2000 basketball. He just, he, he can hoop. And he started missing practice. And the reporter asked him one day, you know, why are you missing, missing practice? And they made a big deal about it. And it is a big deal. And Ellen Iverson said, practice? We're talking about practice. Practice? And of course, Ellen Iverson probably didn't need to show up to practice, right? He knew what he was doing. He can score 30 points. Little guy. He's like barely six feet. But who really needed the practice with Ellen Iverson? His teammates. The other players on the team needed practice with Ellen Iverson. And he didn't take it seriously. And when I think about marriage, it takes practice, right? Think about this. Love. Like we all know, we, well, some of us think we know what love is, right? We first get together, maybe puppy love, maybe a real serious deep love. It takes a long time to get to a really serious type of love. It takes a lot of practice. And love is definitely a noun, but love is definitely a verb, right? It's a verb. It's an action. You got to take action. Because you can always give something and not love it, right? Right? But you can't love something and not give to it. 
It takes you taking some action. And this is basically spelled out very clear in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and 7. I know most of you men read this every day. But it says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I don't know about you, but I was not good at that being married at 20 years old, my wife 19. It was a struggle. I don't think I was doing a third, and I wasn't definitely doing a third of that consistently, right? Because men, we're, we're, we're strange when it comes to that. When it comes to practice, right? Because we'll, we'll have this thing in our mind where we go, I'm going to buy my wife flowers today. And I'm going to get her a card. And it's going to, and I'm going to get her some chocolates, right? Hey, guys, make sure when you go to the market today, get that stuff when you get the chips for the game, okay? Because you're going to wake up tomorrow and you didn't get that stuff. And you're going, what am I doing? CBS don't open till 7. Okay. Anyways. But all that stuff, we, we, in our mind, men go, yeah, I'm going to give this to my wife, and she's going to have a reaction. It's going to be great. Man, it's going to be popping tonight, right? And then we give it to our wife, and she doesn't give the reaction we have in our head, right? Maybe she didn't like those flowers, or maybe she hates chocolate. Men always do that. We get the wrong thing all the time, right? <laughs> Takes practice to get the right thing, right? And then what do we do, man? We, she doesn't smile the way we want her to smile. She doesn't get excited the way we want her to get excited. And so we get the flowers and we get them. We go in the trash. We forget this, man. We give up. We don't want to practice. We don't want to put in the time. We don't want to put in the work. A lot of stuff that I've learned with my wife took practice. And with practice is a lot of failure. Right? That's why you practice. Until we get it right. Louis said it. You know, you got to constantly do that. You got to constantly get better. He didn't have an example to show him. He had to learn. It's the details. The small things. In sports, they call it the fundamentals. And let me tell you something about the fundamentals. If you take an athletic, you know, just this, this, phenom of a type of guy, I hate those dudes, right, and he's good at the fundamentals, that guy's going to be a superstar, I guarantee you, that guy's going to be a hall of famer, that was, that was Kobe, okay, that was Kobe, athleticism, great, but the thing that made him different is all the little details, all the fundamentals, he was good at, he worked hard at, he was just like, I'm going to put in the work, he didn't know a move, he called up the guy that knew that move really good and goes, hey, can I train with you in the offseason? Can you show me that move? And he would learn that move. He would study that move. Fundamentals will get an average player, an average player, and if he's great at the fundamentals, he's going to be an above average player. Even a guy that's not athletic, if he's good at the fundamentals, he's going to get some playing time. He's going to play. But it must be practiced over and over again. It's fundamentals. You know, today in the Super Bowl, there's going to be a winner. 
Sorry, Rams fans. <laughs> Calling it now. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Some of you, some of you are going to be hindered now. Forget this guy. I'm not listening to the rest of this sermon. I'm a Raider fan. Come on. But there's going to be a championship trophy that's going to be raised up. We've all seen it, right? Nice trophy, right? And that trophy is called the Vince Lombardi Trophy, right? And Vince Lombardi is considered one of the greatest NFL coaches of all time, Green Bay Packers. When you talk about he's a coach's coach, right? Coach's coach. That's, that's huge, right? And there was one year where the Packers went to the Super Bowl, okay? Great team. I think they were favored to win. They go to the, the Super Bowl, and they blow it in the fourth quarter. Ain't nothing worse than blowing a game in the fourth quarter. And they lose, okay? Following year, they go to training camp. Training camp comes. Vince Lombardi gets his team together. First meeting of the season. This, this is a good team, by the way, right? They just went to the Super Bowl. Pretty much all the same players are still there. Solid team. Vince Lombardi does something that's up legendary. He gets a football. He holds up the football, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. And then he proceeds to tell them, open up their playbook to page one. And he starts from the very beginning. He says, talks about blocking. These guys know how to block. Nope, we're going to talk about blocking. We're going to talk about tackling. Let me show you the right way to tackle. We just went to the Super Bowl, coach. Nope, we're starting from the beginning. Then he began to proceed and talk about passing. And he started everything from the beginning. What? This team was good. They went to the Super Bowl, but they were missing some details. They were missing some key fundamentals. Right? And that takes practice. It takes practice. And you know what happened by the end of that season? Not only did they go to the Super Bowl, but they won 37-0 over the New York Giants. Why? Because he was a stickler for the details. And if you look at every great coach, Phil Jackson, most winningest coach, most championships in NBA history, uh, he was a stickler for fundamentals, details. You didn't do it right, he would put you in the game, and if you didn't do what he asked you to do the right way, you're out within seconds. Nope, you didn't do it right, out. What? He didn't care. John Wooden, famous, one of the most famous uh, NCAA basketball coaches of all time, Pers my personal hero. He was a stickler down to how his team put on their socks and their shoes, and how they tied their shoes. Great coaches, great husbands, great wives, great teams stick to the fundamentals. They get good at the fundamentals. If you don't think that the details are important to God, let me remind you of a few details here. You remember the mustard seed in Matthew 13? It's a little detail, right? Something small. Do you remember the woman with the two mites in Mark? Yeah, we don't talk about the guys that gave all the cash. We talk about that woman that gave all she had. The little things, like the hairs on your head. God mentions that they're numbered. Why is that important to God? It's a little detail that we could probably think that we live without. But when I read that, I'm like... And Lord, why is this little detail so important to you? The boy's lunch in John, right? A couple loaves of, of bread, a couple fish, multiplied at thousands. Or what about Gideon's 300? Just 300 soldiers took out thousands. 
little things. And what about the smallest thing of all in the Bible? That little baby in the manger. It made the greatest impact. God is concerned with the details. God is concerned with the fundamentals. And in your marriage, you gotta practice the fundamentals. You gotta practice the small things. Because if you practice the small things, if you're, if you're good at the fundamentals, if you're good at execution, you know what that equals? It equals success. And it equals wins, right? And let me give you a little, let me give you a little uh, 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 cheat code here, right? If you continually practice the fundamentals, guess what? It becomes second nature. Right? Kobe didn't worry about the fundamentals. He, he, once he learned the fundamentals and he learned how to do it the right way, guess what? It came natural. It became easy. It's just what we do. Right? Don't quit on the practice. Don't quit on the fundamentals. Number three. Team captain. Every team has a team captain. Team captain is basically the coach on the field, the coach on the court, right? He's a solid player, right? You, the coach picks a solid player from the team. It's usually a guy, it doesn't have to be the superstar on the team, but it's a guy that works hard every day, right? He's the first one in the gym, he's the last one to leave, right? He sets the tone for his team. He makes his team become accountable, right? He tell, he, when he has to put guys on check and say, hey, man, you need to step it up here. He goes over there for the coach and bees the bad guy and say, hey, what's your problem? Step it up. Hey, Rook, you need to step it up. We need to play a little bit harder over there. The thing with the team captain, though, is that he, he'll work just as hard or even harder. And the coach knows that. So this team captain's responsibility is to set the tone for the whole team. Guess what, man? You're the team captain for the home team. Ladies, you can just chill for a second. Just give a little nudge to your husband. I told you, you were the team captain and I was the defensive coordinator. It's a ton of responsibility, but it's our responsibility. It's not an easy task. In Ephesians 5, 21 through 29, it says, And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Make sure you uh, underline that scripture right there, both of you. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. Men, men are getting a little excited right now. I told you, right? But for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she would be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. There's a lot going on in that scripture and it speaks to both, but if you read that scripture over a few times, and whether you admit it or not, man, that speaks to us mostly. That's for the, that's for the team captain. There's some extras in there. Because we're the heads of our households. Because we're the husbands. Because we're the team captains. 
And this is not like a dictatorship where we're just calling shots, right? Call shots, I'm the boss. You said, said submit and all this stuff. It's not about that. What is Paul saying is this. First, Paul says, we need to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Okay? So you're telling your wife, submit to me, woman. And she's telling you, die for me, man. <laughs> right? It's over. We lost. I'd rather be submissive than die. Right? But Christ died for us, and he says that. Like, I love the church. Second, a husband cannot spiritually cleanse his wife the same way Jesus cleanses the church. Yet a husband can take an active, caring interest in his wife's spiritual well-being. That's what it says. What does that mean? I'm praying for my wife. I'm helping my wife. I'm going to make sure she's good. Right? Good team captain does that. He encourages when one of the teammates is down. Get up. Let's go. Maybe sometimes it is a little tough love. Maybe sometimes it is a little caring love. But the team captain knows how to do it and when to do it. Takes practice. Third, he says, to love our wives like our own bodies. I know some of you guys, no problem, you know. But that's not what he means, right? Think about it this way. I'm not going to do something dumb like jump off this roof because I know I'll probably break both of my legs. I'm going to try to eat stuff that's healthy for me. I'm going to try to take care. Why? Because I don't want to hurt my body. And my wife is an extension of my body because we're one. So if I'm hurting, she's hurting. If she's down, I'm down. If I'm down, she's up. I hope she picks me up. If I'm up and she's down, I'm going to pick her up. Why? Because we're connected. We're one. The body's one. And that's what he says. Every good team captain will lead by example. They're going to work harder to show the rest of the team. That's rough sometimes, man, right? Man. But we got to work harder because we're the team captain. We, got, we set the tone for the home. We will be of good character on and off the field. You don't want a team captain that has horrible character off the field, right? You don't want that. And that's speaking to us right there too, man. Same character at church and at home. At home and at work. At work and at the streets, right? We're the same person. That's the problem with a lot of homes is that the, the team captain is somebody else when he comes to church and somebody else when he's at home. If you're the team captain, you're never going to get the respect of the team that way. They will be accountable to the coach and their team, right? Good team captains, team wins, they give the credit to the teammates. And they did great. Team loses, team captain goes, I should have did something a little bit more. I should have did a little bit better for my team. It's on me. We'll get this next time. Men don't want to do that anymore, guys. It's getting quiet out there. You know, in Matthew 20, 24, there's a story, and it's, on, uh, it's James and in this, this uh, gospel, it's James and John's mom come to Jesus, and, the, and, she, and she asked them, uh, Jesus, if her sons, James and John, could sit at the right and left hand of, of Jesus. And his, you know, this starts off at 24. It says, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were upset. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord, lord over it, over their people and officials, flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you 
must be your servant. Y'all hear that? And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think that's pretty significant. Showing us how to be a leader. Says that Jesus is not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. A good leader does that, right? He's not going to push his team and say, hey, be here at 6 o'clock and be in the weight room, and he's not there, right? A good leader is going to be a servant leader, and he's probably going to open up the gym. He's going to open up the weight room. See, man, if you want your wife to be spiritual, then you be spiritual. If you want your wife to pray, then you start praying. If you want your wife to know her word, then you know your word and you teach her the word. If you want your wife to honor and respect you, then you love and protect her. The good team captain is going to do that, guys. Number four. Get a little drink. I always wanted to do that, like Pastor Adam. In-season adjustments. See, every team has to make some adjustments along the way. I'm a Raider fan. We've been making adjustments for like 20 years. <laughs> Not as long as the Browns, but we're, but we're, we're, hey, hey, there's only one winner. We're all losers, okay? Come on. But it takes some adjustments during the season. Okay, if you remember my Raiders this year, they won some games. They came out hot. Derek Carr was on point. I was like, yes, this might, this might be a good year. I mean, let me be honest. We were a little skeptical because it's the Raiders. It always looks good and it ends bad. But this year, they had a lot of crazy things going on. They, they, they played good. Then they started losing. Then one of their young, great receivers on the rise gets a, a, a DUI and kills somebody. It just, the, the, the coach, they, they pull up 10-year-old emails, and, and, and they, they canceled him out, you know, and, and he's gone. So I'm like, what happened? We started losing games. Uh, April and Luis, I went to their house. They, they were throwing things and getting mad. And I'm like, Lord, all the, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I'm not. Then, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was getting crazy. I was like, uh, turning off the game. My wife will tell you, I'm just horrible too. I'm horrible too, guys. I, just, I, I have to watch the game by myself because I get in the flesh. <laughs> I do. I'll tell you right now. I'm not ashamed. I repent after the game. And God knows my heart, so don't judge. <laughs> but there is a lot of in-season adjustments they had to make. And they had to make some changes. And their captain stood up, Crosby, and Derek Carr, and they took some of the blame, and they began to push the team a little bit more. And by some miracle, thank you, Lord, they won 10 games, and they went to the playoffs. They lost in the playoffs, but I, I thought, man, that was a crazy season. Uh, that was like one of the worst ones, because usually it's just like, and it's nose type, but this one was like all year long. But they made the necessary adjustments. Good teams make the adjustments. Good marriages make the adjustments. If you're not going to make the adjustments in your marriage, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be a team that just continues to go down, down, down. And many marriages just 
go, eh, we just keep going. Just keep going. They don't make the necessary adjustments. They don't go, wa go back and watch the film. What, do, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? Right? Good teams will go back and watch film, film, film. Good teams will, will, will seek counsel. Right? Like Luis said, good teams will go out and say, hey, I don't know how to do this. Can you show me? Can you help me? Do you see something that we're doing wrong? They'll seek the counsel because in marriage, it's a long season, guys. And it's constantly changing. Me and my wife, it's never been the same. I remember we first got married 20 and 19 years old. I, I had my little job. She had a little job. I'd get home early, wash up, go to the mall to pick her up. We'd go get dinner, come, come home, watch TV. It was great. What do you want to do tonight? Let's go to Knott's Berry Farm. Okay, let's go. Fun. And then here comes Ash. Dun, dun, dun. Right? And then now it's like we got three. And it's another mouth to feed. And... She takes formula, and it's not carnation formula. It's these crazy infamil with all this stuff in it. I'm like, that's like double the price. The heck? Can, just, can we just give her some low fat and be on her way? No. Okay. So we got to buy, we were buying her clothes, and we had to take a little step back. Can we go do, no, we can't do that because we got this. And then comes my son Cam. And then it's constant changing, right? Kids are older. They go to school. Then they want to play sports. And then we're trying to be involved in ministry. And it's crazy. I don't even know how we did that. Melissa starts working full time. We have the kids in school. We're trying to do ministry. All this stuff. And I'm like, yo, no time for each other. Right? No time. And then by the time the kids are gone, it's another season, right? And then you look at each other and who are you? <laughs> it happened to us. It was like, it was like they were both gone, and they work, they're working, they have their cars, they're gone with their friends, and it was like four weekends in a row, and like by the third weekend, we're sitting there eating, watching a movie, and I'm like, hey, we're alone again today. I liked it. But it was different, and it was weird, and, and I told her, I go, well, thank God I like you, and you like me, because at the end of the day, it wasn't the busyness of ministry or the busyness of kids in that season, it was just us. People get busy and they don't make the change. And then it's going to be just you and then what do you got? The in-season adjustments. Good marriages will look at it and say, hey, what, what adjustments do we need to make? It's a little rough time right now. What do, what do we need to do? You know, can we go seek some counsel? Let me give you some advice. Find a marriage you aspire to be like. Find a marriage that, man, you're like, man, I want to be like that. And ask them a million questions. Become their friend. There's a story in the Bible of a rich young ruler. That's, that's a cool name. That's what it's described in the Bible, right? It sounds like a rapper. The rich young ruler. You know what I mean? What song does he do? Oh, he got this song, right? But the rich young ruler, he was a guy that said, okay, he's, obviously he's rich. He's young, and he, and he has some authority, right? He comes to Jesus, and he, and he throws himself on the ground, and he says, how can I get eternal life? And Jesus began to run off all these commandments. Well, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. You got to do that. And the rich young ruler goes, I, I've done all those things since I was a kid. Right? Did them. And then Jesus tells him, you got to leave everything and follow me. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler became sad. He got down. Because he knew he couldn't do that. And I begin to think of this guy. 
Here was his opportunity to follow Jesus. Here was an opportunity to see miracles. Here was an opportunity maybe, maybe to be a disciple, right? Here was an opportunity to have eternal life. And he couldn't make the in-season adjustment. He couldn't make the change. It was just too much for him. And there's marriages here that you just don't want to make the change. It's just too much. It's just too hard. It's too much work. But what are you missing out on? A happy marriage, some fun, being in love, letting your light shine through your marriage, let God get the glory, showing your kids what a good marriage is. I'm thankful for that stuff. I know my kids know what a good marriage is. I'm not trying to brag. It took a lot of work. It still takes work. But I get imparted into my children, hey, this, my son, hey, look, look at your dad. I'm a good husband. If there's anything I did right, I'm a good husband. Right? If anything my wife did right, she's a good wife. She can show Ash. Right? It didn't just come overnight. It took work. Still takes work. The seasons change, but you got to make the adjustment. Last one, number five, play to win. Okay, so the Raiders are notorious for this. I'm talking about fourth and inches. Anybody know what fourth and inches is? You need 10 yards to get a first down. It'd be first down, second down, third down. It's third down, they blow it again, and then it becomes fourth and inches, right? Fourth and inches, and I'm like, and, and, and the other team's only up by three, right? They're only up by three, fourth and inches. I'm like, go for it. Go for it. April, go for it, right? April's throwing stuff. <laughs> Luis is getting hit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the, if, mar, marry a wife or a husband that has the same team. That's the key, Okay. But fourth and inches, and you're like, go for it, right? The other team's only up by three. We're right here. We're in the red zone. And the Raiders go, send out the kick, kicking team. I'm like, yo, they'll go. And what's the thing that the announcer always says? Hey, they're going to go for the field goal. Tie it up. Take your chances in overtime. Oh, chances in overtime? It's based on a coin flip. A coin flip. Whoever gets the ball is probably going to win. Many marriages go like that. They kick the field goal instead of going for the touchdown. They're okay with just being okay. Right? You ask them, how's everything going? We're okay. We're not strangling each other. We're not arguing. But we're okay. But are you in love? Are you pursuing the touchdown? And later for the extra point, go for the two points. Conversion. You have to play to win. You got to go for it. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, as I wrap this up, don't you realize that in a race, everybody runs, but only one person gets the prize? And then what does it say? So run to win. He didn't say, just get married to have kids. He didn't say, just get married to pursue your ministry goals. He didn't say just get married to just be okay. No. The 
scripture tells us, hey, let's play to win. Let's run to win. And he goes on to say, all athletes are disciplined in their training. So they're ready. They're prepared. That's, we need to be prepared. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I love fighting. I do jujitsu, did boxing for a long time, and kickboxing. And I love that analogy because shadow boxing, you can look good shadow boxing. You can look good hitting pads. You can look good hitting the bag. But when you get that guy and you put him in the ring and you say, let's spar, he doesn't look that good anymore. You know why? Because he's getting hit in the face. He's having somebody swinging back at him. It's not just hitting pads no more. It's somebody's trying to swing on you now. Now you got to defend. Now you got to make adjustments. So I love that Paul says that to them. I'm not just shadow boxing, but I'm ready. Something comes our way, we, we're ready, yeah. We're prepared. Do not be just okay in your marriage. Don't just play and hope that the clock runs out, right? Watching a game and it's like that last minute and 30 seconds, if your team up takes 40 minutes, you're like, please, clock, just run out. Some of you are waiting like that. Please, clock, just run out on my marriage. Lord, come back. Please. It's rough. Don't wait. Just a quick review. Know God's plan. Know his game plan. Know his playbook. Practice the fundamentals until they become second nature. Husbands, be the team captain. Four, make the in-season changes. And five, play to win. Play to win. Marriage is simple. Oh, you got like, whoa. Marriage is simple, but it's difficult. You know why it's simple? Because we know what to do. And if we don't know where to do, what to do, we know where to get the answers. But it's difficult because we don't want to do the work. Right? It's easy because we know what to do and we know God's going to lead us. We know God's going to help us. But it's difficult because, man, it's going to take a lot of work to make these changes. You know, me and Melissa have counseled couples and helped couples. And the most rough thing that we never understand is when you get a couple and they're married like 15, 20 years and they're still miserable. I'm like, what are you miserable about? You're both almost ready to retire. You own your home, great jobs. It's just you, the kids are gone. You should be enjoying life, having a good time. And they're miserable because they don't want to make no changes, because they don't want to play to win, because the husband don't want to be the team captain because they didn't know God's plan for the game of marriage. Amen. Let's all stand. You know, I just really feel that uh, if you're married in this place, I want you to grab your spouse and I want you to come down to the altar. Grab your, if, if you're going to get married, I know there's some engaged couples, I want you to grab 
your fiance, your girlfriend, I want you to come down. And I'll tell you why that's significant. Because if you learn all these things before you get married, you're going to have a good jump start. It doesn't mean you're going to solve every problem, but it means you're going to have some good knowledge of the game plan. We're going to pray. And maybe one of these points just touched you in your marriage. Maybe you're not doing it. Maybe you are doing it. Maybe you got to make some in-season adjustments. Maybe you have to uh, uh, change the way you're thinking. There is hope, friend. That's what this whole series is about. It's about hope. We want to get marriages like Luis and April, like myself and Melissa, like Pastor Adam and Carrie. Nobody was perfect at marriage. It's like parenthood. It's, it's, it's hard. There's no manual. You just, you're just trying. It takes work. But we want to encourage people in marriages to be strong. Because strong marriage makes a strong home. Right? Strong marriage makes a strong society and a strong marriage makes a strong church for Jesus and it gives God glory nothing speaks more volumes than a great home I don't I didn't even know when Pastor Adams told I've had other people tell us when they come to the house there's something there saved and unsaved people when saved people come I'm blessed when unsaved people come and they tell me that when they come for the podcast it's nothing that we do it's all the Lord it's all a lot of hard work but when they tell me that I'm like wow they're like you know what you got here like, do you realize what you, this, like, here's your kids, here's your wife. We can tell there's something different. And I'm like, I don't even have to say nothing. God wants to use your marriage for his glory. God wants you to be blessed in your marriage. God wants to use your marriage. Amen? As the worship team plays, I want you just to pray for one another and pray for, as a team together. Just pray for each other. There's hope. Amen? Let's pray.
I just find myself appreciating my marriage. My wife is in the back, so I can't like stand up here with you guys, but what a great message that was. What an amazing thing marriage is. What a, what a, what a tremendous blessing it is that we have that. Brother Dave, thank you so much for bringing that today. What an incredible thing. Know the playbook. Understand the playbook. Make the adjustments. There's, I was jotting a lot of things down in my phone, things that I, my wife and I are coming up on 10 years married, and uh, which is exciting. But even, even at 10 years married, I'm like, I'm listening to this seasoned, married, good marriage guy. I'm like, man, I, I need to work on that. I need to work on that. I need to work on that. And hopefully you're doing the same thing today. I love this series on marriage, on State of the Union. It's been, hasn't it been great so far? What an exciting month this is. What a great time we're having together. Uh, listen, this is Super Bowl Sunday. I know everybody's going to go out and have a great time and party and have a good time watching the game and everything. We want you to know we love you today. God bless you. Thank you for coming, being a part of our service today. Enjoy your day. Have a great week, and we'll see you sometime in the coming week. God bless you.